This is Joshua Bell with Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from December 19, 2021, called The Power and the Holy Spirit. I hope you enjoy. God bless. My scripture this morning is not really complete because we're only getting a piece of Luke chapter 1, but we're going to talk about all of it. So hear now these words from Luke chapter 1, verses 45 through 55. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant, Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. In this part, Luke's nativity narrative, we listen to Mary's response to God's faithfulness. The part that we didn't get to read this morning, which is a part of the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, is is that right before this, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, has just exalted Mary in a a phrase that ends up being, being created in the first century. In Greek, we would read that phrase as theotokos, which literally means the mother of my Lord, or the mother of the God-child. Theo, God, Tokos, child. Now this causes issues throughout all of history in the first century because Mary becomes elevated to a place that no other human has ever been and cannot be. She gives birth to our Savior as a human being, you see. She's neither a priest, but I would argue that in this moment she becomes a prophet. And so does her sister Elizabeth. Now, as Mary becomes elevated in the aspect of prophet, she preaches, or the words that come to her are known as the Magnificat. It's her hymn. And for those of you that don't remember, all the way through the Hebrew Bible, we have hymns that people sing that are spoken in such a way that God has provided them the words to say in that moment. Mary now carries that prophetic spirit forward with her own exaltation of God. She speaks powerfully to God's grace and mercy as well as to the action of God that seeks justice and equity among people. My favorite part is Mary's God scatters the proud, brings down the powerful, fills the hungry, and starves the wealthy, and keeps the 
as they would say, the forever promises that God once made to her ancestors in verse 55. Now, people much smarter than I came up with an understanding. Fred Craddock specifically talks about in his interpretation series about the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 being written in four acts. Act chapter 1. Mary visits Elizabeth in a village presumably near Jerusalem. It doesn't tell us where. It just tells us that she comes to visit her. And as in a typical fashion, she's in a hurry. Anytime that you see this, there's supposed to be an understanding of Numa working amongst them. They're in a hurry. They, they have to go. There's, a, there's an anticipation of what's to happen next. And coincidentally, they share a, a common experience of a child growing within them. Now, for those of you who don't, don't remember, Elizabeth is carrying somebody very important also. You might know him as? Oh, thank goodness that you all said John the Baptist. I was afraid. The one that goes to prepare the way of the coming of our Lord. And Mary obviously is not even showing yet, but somehow she walks into the room, and as it says, the baby inside Elizabeth leaps, right? It's also another thing. It's another formula of writing. There's always this idea of where one is the old and the other is young, like Elijah and Elisha. There's this thing that happens. You see, Elizabeth, in their understanding, would have been uh, a little bit past the age of having a child. And yet this child has come in a miraculous way, in the same way that it was miraculous with Mary. Very similar to the same way that one might say that happened with Sarah and Abraham. You know, that whole idea of, that, well, I'm not going to have a kid. And God says, oh, yeah, watch this. Fred also goes on to talk about Act 2, where Elizabeth, and, I'm, and I have to hold myself back because I get excited about this, because Elizabeth dominates with this visceral and vocal response, Fred says, to Mary's entry, that all of a sudden life is changed, and immediately, that's the word, immediately the spirit or the pneuma that you might find in the book of Acts, as well as here, the, the spirit fills Elizabeth, thus providing the appropriate words to proclaim. Oh, my goodness. They just made her a prophet, people. Not just any kind of prophet, a prophet like the, the prophet Jeremiah. Remember, we've been talking about him, that the prophet Jeremiah, I don't have the words to speak. And then God says, I will provide the words for you. And they will change the world as you know it. Here, the Holy Spirit comes into her in such a way that God provides the words for her and it becomes prophetic. Just like Peter at Pentecost. All of a sudden, this spirit in Elizabeth creates meaning for Mary. And Elizabeth's words, at the very least, corroborate Mary's experience. And then she goes on to bless Mary. Right there, that we just read it, verse 45. And then, as a musician, it's my favorite part. Act chapter 3, it's called the Magnificat. It's this beautiful language. It's, it's a hymn all the way to its very core, where she sings these praises like she wrote it out of the book of Psalms. She describes God's personal 
gracious salvation to her as a divine pattern for how God will come to all the oppressed of the world. Do you see that you are that person? Just like Mary. Who's Mary? Why her? She's just a child. Why would we come to him? Why would we come to her? Why is this happening? Mary sings this song in such a way that God has found this beautiful moment. Not for the nobles or for the rulers of the world, but for those who are poor, powerless, and needy. The song is not original, though. Bits and pieces of it you can hear in Hannah's own language from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, when Hannah, who also was desiring of a child, cannot have a child, and God provides her one. Hannah sings this beautiful song. You might know him. I mean, it is 1 Samuel. Such is an appropriate prayer to form to follow since Hannah, also a prophet of the Hebrew Bible, was promised, given a child that would make a new place for God's relationship to Israel. And then finally, in Act chapter 4, Fred says, it's just a single sentence that concludes this marvelous drama that Mary will remain with Elizabeth, presumably until John is born. And then we'll go home. And Mary will again return to the front when the time of the birth for her comes. Hmm. You see, part of the problem that we have here is this, this language of the Spirit we struggle with this language of what does the Holy Spirit mean? What is, how does it work within us? How are we supposed to even guide in this moment? Maximus of Turin. This is, this is how long ago this goes. In 408 AD, he writes, John exults before he is born that before his eyes can see what the world looks like, he can recognize the Lord of the world with his spirit. Thus from his confinement. When even confined in the womb, he preached the same Lord by his movements. Even John the Baptist in the womb knew that Jesus was something different. It's something fascinating to point out, just for just a, a literary point. The, the term pneuma becomes a, a thing that describes the spirit of God. It also is literally the word wind. You use this all the time when you use pneumatic air drills. Pneuma, pneumatic, the wind being passed. But you see, wind is a guiding force. It guides ships. It guides everything that they do. This idea that the Holy Spirit comes in the form of wind is not too far related to the understanding of Ruach for the Hebrew culture. Remember, it's through the breath of God that we are created. And breath in its very core is nothing but wind. So as God breathes the breath of life into us to give us life, then the God gives us the same type of wind to guide us in such a way that Mary 
without knowing what she's saying, because God provides her the words, we have this spirit of speak that came to her from God and no other source. There's a beautiful relationship between Mary and Elizabeth in the aspect of their friendship. They're, they're sharing this experience together of childbirth. How often do you have those types of same experiences? In your own faith, you find that you share something with everyone at some point or another. How do we do this? How do we take time to visit each other? I, I don't know about you, but the hardest part in the last year and a half of my life is not taking time to visit with somebody. It's the taking the time to listen to someone. Let me give you an example. Have you ever asked somebody how they're doing and they tell you? <laughs> like, how are you doing? Well, my whole life has crumbled before my whole eyes. And I cannot believe this is happening to me. My car blew up. My dog got kicked this morning, not by me, by somebody else. And everything in my world is falling apart. And you're sitting there. And what's the first thing that you start doing? Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. I mean, uh, you know, I, I kind of have another meeting I got to go to. And you feel your whole body language change as you start to move away from the person. Not because you don't want to listen, but because, let's be honest, you're uncomfortable that somebody else is having a bad time. Because if we're really being honest, so are we. You see, I think those moments are pneuma-filled experiences where God gives us the words to speak, and yet we speak too much, or we don't speak enough. When we don't take time to visit with one another, to talk about our faith to provide mutual support. You know, I, I tell people this all the time. When we've lost loved ones, I, I have no words. I can't fix it. I mean, think about it. Every time that we talk about our life, these moments that bad things happen, we don't have the right things to say. Someone's car blows up. Oh, man, that's awful. Something bad happens in their life? What do we say? I'll keep you in my prayers. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with that statement. It came from a pneumatic place. See how I did that? But you better pray. <laughs> Don't make cliches out of God. Don't take opportunities to make God seem small. When you say, I'm going to pray for you, you pray. Knowing that God will give you the right words when you don't have them. That's the hardest part of our faith. That's truly the power of the Holy Spirit. When words give way to faith. It gives us the opportunity to share in that person's joy. You're going to hear all kinds of people talking about the pageantry of Christmas. 
And we're going to hear about all of these things, but I think the most important part of us is that we're taking this story is, is that you have the opportunity to live out the scripture. Even if you don't have words. Our congregation tries to the very best of its ability. We assume that somebody else is going to do it for us, but when we do the live nativity, for example, we're not speaking those words. Just the mere image of it speaks volumes. It changes the world, you see. People ask, they start to ask those questions. What is it that they're doing? Why, is, why are they standing outside in the freezing cold? Why, well, not this year, right? Christmas is going to be at 70 degrees. Why are they standing outside there in shorts and sandals? point of this is that those moments are where actions speak louder than those words. And you have the opportunity every single day to be in the power of the Holy Spirit to listen to God give you the words when you have none. I think that's the beautiful part about Mary's Magnificat. She sees it. She recognizes it. I'm not worthy of this gift, O oh God. I've done nothing to deserve this, and yet you've bestowed this gift, this burden, if you will, to share with all of the nations. In the same way that God has given you this blessing, this burden, to be the image of that child, to all of the world, around you. So that when we hear the angels sing, glory to God on the highest and peace among men, we do that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.